America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle with three brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Let me go off and go off and go off. All right, cool. Excited to bring you two distinguished guests today. Farag Barik, he's my, I've known this guy for probably 20, 25 years now, man, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and from Chicago area, I was in Rockford, then I met him in undergrad, I think, and then we got to know each other very well. I'm going to have him tee up who he is, and Greg Brown, I met him about, what, 11 years ago now, Greg? 10, 11 yeah. years ago? 10, actually, with our, we met with our kids, so 10, the older ones. Um, yeah, so... It's been a long ride, beautiful ride. We, the commonality between us, uh, Parag and I are Chicago Bears first. It's second team for Greg. Uh, he's a Raiders fan first. I embrace it all. I love it. As long as you don't say Packers, you're welcome. All right. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you guys go first. G Brown, you're alphabetically. Why don't you give yourself a quick intro and then we'll jump to Parag and then we'll get into the episode. Yeah. So I spent most of my career uh, in the financial services business working for the big uh, wirehouses. I've been an income strategist for much of my career, uh, which means I help sovereign wealth funds, uh, you know, corner office producers at the big wirehouses, Merrill, Morgan, Wells, you know, city private group, that kind of thing, uh, working on their uh, fixed income or retirement income allocations across uh, taxable fixed income, municipal bonds, bank loans, munis, um, MLPs, anything that generates a coupon kind of falls in my world. What so, the hell just happened? A little technical difficulty there. Are you running right now? What are you doing? Subway. Yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> Put the clothes back on. Um, so so that, that's been the majority of my background. And then, you know, I kind of really got interested in crypto about three, four years ago. And then had the opportunity to do a, a, a class through Princeton back in the fourth quarter and got completely hooked. And I think in, in our last visit on Whiskey Hue, um, you know, we had a conversation and, and I think I dropped the bomb, which was uh, I told you by the end of 2021, I would be, you know, at least 85 percent allocated to crypto. And, th- and that happened in less than 30 days Boom. since your last show. Um, <laughs> and so, you know which is which is crazy so you you, you can throw some you, you sling some mud on that in a minute but let me tell you that continuing from our conversation in january i still have not lost a penny in any trade in crypto or galaxy digital or gbtc or ethe or in or in any of these places or, or in any of the miners um and you know i'm up across the board somewhere between 400 and 1200 percent um, well, as every, traded, every, you know, as every 23 year old with a Robinhood account told me last year, stocks and crypto only go up. So you're good, man. That's, that's, that makes perfect sense. I'm just kidding, man. Uh, well, <laughs> that's off to the Robinhood. Not necessarily true, but not necessarily <laughs> true, but, um, yeah. So that's kind of my background. And we can get into some of the details and talk about some projects and what's happened in the space a little bit of late. Uh, but I'm excited to be here with Parag today and, and kind of talk some macro and, and get back to my, roots a little bit with my uh with my former uh podcast at world financial um and my partner you know brian levitt who i actually saw this week so i've got a couple of thoughts for you from there because he is definitely on parag side of the conversation really oh that's good these two used to have a great podcast together uh before we would tune in for levitt's uh knowledge and greg's sexy voice (laughs) and gotta have a very white everyone's gotta have a very white he's like hey baby who do you love (laughs) all right go ahead man frog (laughs) 
I think boys to men is still looking for someone to do that. So if you got someone, go for it. That's true, right? That dude's got yeah. sick. Hey, Mike. Um, no. Um, uh, name is Prague Freak. Known the duel for way longer than I would like to admit. Uh, known his wife longer, which he always finds hilarious because she and I Wait, what? What? <laughs> she and I went to high school together. Shout out, Alba. Uh um, strategist, uh, you know, basically my, my job is to hopefully solve problems. And when I'm done, you'll have 99 problems, but I won't be one. So that's Damn. Damn, uh, yeah. reference. <laughs> yeah. Game theory economist from Northwestern data scientist from Loyola epidemiologist from UIC. Um, that's basically me. There's a lot more to it, but okay, we'll, we'll end there for now. So these two, you've heard Greg's voice before. He's been on the pod. Parag, I've been trying to get on the pod for a while. The schedules have not synced. We'll do that. We're going to do a full deep dive on the economy with him shortly. I wanted these two because they're on somewhat different sides. And maybe in what Greg just kind of alluded to, Parag is, has a vision that I mean, probably half America does, right? There's five people on both sides, all right, in this conversation. Uh, so, I, you know, and Greg is dialed in. He's the, I, I've never seen someone go dialed in as strong as Greg in a, a, as short a period of time, right? So I knew some people that were dialed in 2017. I thought they were all yaks, right? Guess what? Prove me wrong because it, it bounced back. Okay. Um, now I'm seeing kind of, I'm seeing some of the, it's an interesting space and I think I want to explore it now. And I finally allocated some of my own assets to it. I'm, I'm exploring even more. So I speak with people like Greg and a bunch of my other friends regularly about this. And it's, it's an exciting space. So here's what we're going to do. Parag's, de, uh, Parag's the economist, uh, expert in the healthcare space as well. Greg's dialed in fixed income and now deep dive into crypto. Let's see how these worlds jam together, right? So first I want to, I do want to get into this. A lot of times, right? We have these, the younger generation with new tech plays happen to be the early adopters, right? So I do want to set the stage with, Baby boomers, this term, and the millennials, right? We're, I don't, I'm not in either one of these groups, right? So, but, um, I'm in between. <laughs> so the baby boomer generation, right? They had, and I get now, if you look at the data, right? Millennials will always say, Hey, it was easier for you. Okay. Uh, there's some, there's some sense to that, right? There's some facts to that. So let's say the boomers had a very different experience with the economy than millennials. Let's say, so as you dating four years back, they're in the late twenties, early thirties. If you look at the history, uh, wages adjusted for inflation kept pace with the average cost of stuff. Let's just put it that way, right? Uh, roughly. Um, but the value of assets has gone up, right? 1980s, that's, you know, till now, let's say equity markets were relatively cheaper. One of the cheapest in history, actually. Uh, and, and so that was attractive to this, that, that generation. Bond markets, yields were like, they went 15, 18%, something like that back then. Uh, real estate ravaged by inflation at that time. So it was relatively cheaper. What are the millennials getting, right? So now, let's say 18 months ago, two years ago, millennials, what are they seeing? They want to save like their parents, but real estate, higher. Equities, higher. Uh, why? And we should get into this. Maybe you want to delve into this, uh, Brock. The printing of money, which I have I have strong issues with. We, we've had great conversations around this. And these assets have gone up so much that the cost to obtain them it, it outpaces your wage uh, increases, right? So it's difficult. For these goals. So millennials have massive debts, as did baby boomers back then coming out of school and all that, but it's harder for them to kind of get ahead. But so now this crypto space might be one avenue out, but start there. Uh, you know, I, I, we've, we've all, all three of us had our separate conversation. I've had separate conversations with both of you. Central banks devaluing of, you know, the value of money in a sense, right? Uh, with a lot of the things that are going on 
Um, and people, in a sense, kind of getting poorer, not richer, but there are avenues to get out of that. So let's, let's, let's set the stage right there. And then I want to get into disruptive forces later on. Go ahead, Broad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great intro. I think it's a lot of great context. I and mean, I think if you boil it down in like really layman terms to people who are listening, just be like, yo, what's the world today? The world today is really abundant, really cheap capital if you can get it. Yep. And the system is skewed for the people who can get it. And that system requires history, assets, credit scores, the works. And that's all skewed to the people who have who've been making money for decades. Right. It's it's systemic, um, slanted. And the millennials are not going to have get, get the favor of that systemic slant. Right. Um, so, you know, there was a, there was a story, I think it was Forbes that came out December 2019, right, right on the eve of COVID. Uh, 70% of Americans uh, live paycheck to paycheck, right? That 70% is not saving. They don't have IR1, IRAs, 401ks, they don't got stock, they don't, they don't have anything. They're trying to make ends meet, right? You know, fast forward about a year, year and a half, and you have, you know, you've gone through record unemployment, you've gone through the world in chaos because of this public health crisis known as COVID. Um, you've got a lot of abundant capital. You have a lot of cheap capital, which is forced the Fed to inject a ton of cash. Markets are going up, but those people who were living 70% paycheck to paycheck, they didn't have access to any of it. They didn't have benefits of any of it. In fact, they were the ones being laid off. They're the ones trying to get the unemployment checks, living for that next stimulus check if it comes. So that's where you're seeing the wealthy double, triple, quadruple their money in a year, year and a half. Stocks inflate. Um, and the folks who are just trying to get in or make ends meet are left behind. Love it. Love it. And, you know, so like, you know, ways to stimulate the economy when you come out of like what just happened. And I think it was interesting. I've never seen some of these kind of tools put into place. It was maybe it was brilliant. Maybe it was beautiful. Maybe it's crazy. We're going to be paying for it down the road. I, I believe interest rates were are the usual mechanisms, right? To stimulate economy, you cut rates, mortgage rates go down, you borrow more capital, uh, quantitative easing. We did something let's see what happens. I do want to set this other tone, uh, you know, instead of us going down that rabbit hole, cause we get, we're going to do that with you on, a, on another pod, 80 to 90% of all global currencies, uh, and, or economies directly or indirectly are connected to the U S dollar mm-hmm. that benefits us. Right. Um, and where I'm going with this is if you have the strongest military in the world and, and the strong, one of the strongest, or if not the strongest economy in the world, then there is a world order per se. If we're, if we're de-establishing that world order, like with decentralized currencies and all of that, right? Um, we may lose in, in, a little bit of our power in the world, potentially, right? That's the thing out there. And that can be something we can visit in a moment. Uh, so I, I, I have always this conspiracy theory. I'm just going to drop a nugget because I like to do those kind of weird things, but China, Russia, they're probably behind this whole Bitcoin thing, making it go right up because they want to, that, devalues the U.S. dollar, I think, long term, right? Um, it, it, it loosens our grip hold on the world. Greg, give me some vantage points on, I love Prague's take on the uh, where we are right now and where we're going. And give, us a, give us a crypto uh, take on this in a moment. Then we're going to jump into the deep dive. Yeah, well, I, w- I want to kind of build off his macro take because I agree with that. And it's funny because I hear myself talking about this and it's very different from my from my previous day gig, right? Where I'm working for long only asset managers or I'm working for folks that are part of this old system, you know, supporting the Fed, supporting the money center banks and supporting kind of the old guard. So this is a really big paradigm shift for me as I hear 
Prague talk and I'm like, oh my God, I have, have I really, you know, switched my stripes here in, in 90 days? Is it four months? Is that really what's going on? So I agree with him a hundred percent. Look, we haven't gotten to the big inflation yet that we're owed as a result of the stimulus package. It yes. is coming. Yep. With, you know, you can Ben Franklin that thing, you know, two things are certain death and taxes. And in this case, inflation's third. It is coming. <laughs> Period. So End of discussion. Um, so I think, you know, building on what Parag said, because I think this is a really important point is, look, the, the people that win right now are the people that own assets, the people that own equities. And I'm talking about stocks and the people that own real estate. That is good inflation. If you're a holder of assets where you get devalued or left behind or, you know, become, you know, see yourself as kind of a flyover state guy is when you don't have assets and you're living paycheck to paycheck. You don't have anything for retirement. You're trying to feed your kids, trying to pay your rent. And if you don't get that third or fourth $1,400 check, you're in a world of trouble. And even if you get it, you're still in a world of trouble. So what I think has really happened here in Prague, please come over the top on this because I'm, I'm, you know, I am not the, the macro guy that you are, is that what I see is what we're really in the midst of from, from my side of this is we're really in the midst of a financial civil war and a bigger paradigm shift in terms of money that's just been exacerbated by both cryptocurrencies and by this COVID pandemic. And some of this goes all the way back to 2009. Some of it goes before. But I think what it really has led to is the haves and the have nots. And I, I don't want to use the 1%, 99%, but it's definitely the haves and the have nots. And so I think what you've got here, and, and I know, Othwell, I know you want to go to the only folks buying crypto have been millennials living in the basement of their parents' house who, who have their undergrad degrees, haven't gone to grad school yet, didn't get to do the European vacation. I get it. I get that that's not it's, – it's transitioned here a little bit, so we need to get into some of that. But that was really, early. That was early. I think definitely now it's, diff, it's significantly changed. Now the real money is yeah, coming in. Yeah, with different. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say fake versus real, but I, you know, institutional money is pouring in, so this is going to blow. Yeah. It's going to explode. So I, I think w- what I see is not this further exacerbating those those problems, but I see it as a better distribution of wealth or a better opportunity for a level playing field. I'm not talking about the folks that own Bitcoin from day one versus people coming into the space now. I'm talking about a way to decentralize some of this stuff and and ways. Uh, look, we got 9,000 different coins and tokens in the crypto space. You get 9,000 different protocols and projects and companies where really, really smart people are working on really great solutions for a ton of problems. And we can get into a few of those in a minute. But I actually think it's the solution not contributing to the problem for the first time in a long time. Mr. Powell, Mr. Bernanke, I can keep going. But I finally feel like we've got some solutions on the table here for some of these issues. I like it. I like it. And the, where are we going with the institution? I said I didn't. When the real money's come in, there's institutional capital before it was primarily retailed through the 2017, 18 uh, over the OTC stuff. Now you're getting you're getting just big, big funds and all banks backing this. And you know a lot of these banks, J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, all of them were saying, "What the hell is this? It's crap." Three, four years ago, right? Client demand is forcing their hand uh, in many of the banks because clients want it. The wealth management clients want this. So they're getting some exposure. JP Morgan is one of them jumping in, as we were discussing earlier. They're going to create a hedge fund, which is going to play the volatility, charge you higher fees, actively manage it. And they think that, hey, instead of buying today, holding for a couple of years, we're going to get in and out all, all day, all day, get you the best returns, higher than the grayscale 
uh, management right, which is more of a passively income ETF that's on the market right now. Uh, so they think they can beat those returns. And a lot of other banks are following suit. Are we at a place, so I think value investing, like our Buffett buddies, right? Uh, all these guys, Munger and all them, value investing has been their play. I would largely, I, I'm not going to knock this guy. He's amazing, right? But if he had invested in Apple 20 years ago versus Coca-Cola, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying he missed the tech bubble. He's in now. He got in. He sold off a billion, I think, shares in the last, uh, something like that. He took a billion in profit or something like that. Uh, he still has significant holdings in Apple. I'm just saying, is value investing, it, it's been lingering. It, it'll always linger, but it'll never outperform these new plays now. Will it? But, I mean, he had a nice bet, a 10-year bet with the hedge fund managers. Hey, the S&P uh, will beat your hedge fund returns after a 10-year bet. And he won that bet, right? Um, yeah, go on that. I got you I got you riled up. But, but it's not supposed to, right? And that's, that's the point. The point is that when you hit critical mass of wealth, you're not looking for a grand slam. You're looking for a mm. lot of singles because the guy sure. who always swings for the fences strikes out a lot. The guy who always gets on base will ultimately always score, right? Like that's, sure. that's, that's the perspective. Their point is, yeah, you know, I could have made more buying Apple than Coke, but I didn't lose money, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and if Apple proved, you know, cause we all know when Steve Jobs got kicked out, when Apple almost filed for bankruptcy, right? That wasn't going to happen to Coke, right? So it's all about risk profile for them on that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, you know, are they missing out by not catching Bitcoin or not catching Tesla or any of these? They're absolutely missing out. Do they really care? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They're happy to buy their, you know, salty, you know, caramel candies or whatever it is and, and make their annuity-like returns and make all their investors very, very happy. And they're at a critical mass of wealth where, they're, where it's good because there's no downside risk for let me say one thing, though. Let me say, so <clears throat> Bitcoin, obviously seen as volatile, right? It's had a good 10-year run with some bumps, as we know, right? A 90% bump, you know, a couple times in there. And we'll probably, you, you may not have 90, but you'll have something significant, right? Because that's just the way that it rolls. Equity markets, for the most, we've had 30, 40% dips, in a sense, which are significant, right? And we see what happens. I would almost argue that it's you're, you're almost de-risking by holding some Bitcoin in your portfolio, if you look at the last 10 years of data with the returns, uh, Greg, go with that. Go with that for a minute. Um, well, let me go back to something Parag said. And I know you want us on the different side of this of this conversation, but I got to tell you, <laughs> I'm in full agreement with him. I did an event back pre-COVID when we could still travel. We did a client event, a joint client event with Dr. Richard Marston from Wharton in Puerto Rico. And we had uh, a couple of dinners and a big client event for like 350 people one day. And Dr. Richard Marston was consultant to Parag's point with these very high end folks. And, you know, he's the guy who developed the SEMA program at Wharton, which is a designation for, for wholesalers, for investment professionals, uh, wholesalers, uh, technically. So when they come in the field, they've got a little bit more ammo uh, towards sort of a CFA, a certified financial analyst conversation or that level of conversation, trying to be trusted advisors. Dr. Marston was saying that they've started a new program for wealth inheritors and for basically C-suite folks, CFO, CEO level folks to come to Wharton with their heirs or with their with their kids, with their spouses to run the family foundation. These are families, 30 million, 50 million, 100 million and beyond. And he basically said in some of these client meetings that we did that clients expect going forward for the next three to five years should expect three to four percent from equities. And I looked at him sideways 
out of the corner of my eye. And he said for fixed income, maybe two to 3%. And I did the same thing. And I saw the looks on the faces in the audience and people were like, oh my God, that's all we're going to get out of this deal. And Mm. so I, I had to segment for myself. My clients typically have not saved enough for retirement. Occasionally we come across families that are 10, 20, 30 million and they're doing exactly you know that. They only need three to five. They only need to maintain the empire and buy Coke and value stocks mm-hmm. and live on live on mm-hmm. the dividends. My brother is a, a CPA in Indianapolis um, who works for a big pharmaceutical company. And he's getting to the point where he's like, if I could just have 200 grand in dividends paying stocks, I don't need to worry about it. Um, yep. I've had other guys in my career yep. tell me if I can if I can just cover my monthly um, bills with municipal bonds, I'm out of the equity market. So I'm not going to take any more risk. Uh, man, I can think of a number of clients in the old days uh, in the private wealth business. We had a lot of folks in the entertainment business from L.A. that had 100 percent muni portfolios that completely missed Apple, Google, all of it. Intel missed, missed all the tech. Um, but, but I think it depends on your perspective and what you're solving for, n- number one. Um, but I think there's a great opportunity right now to generate much, much higher returns. Yes, more volatility, mm-hmm. but much higher returns, even with a small allocation in the crypto or the digital currency space. Um, the other thing to remember is we're not talking about securities here, right? So this stuff is not regulated by the SEC, right? Not not regulated by FINRA because these are not securities with the exception of whatever's going on with Ripple at the SEC right now and, and Mr. Gensler and how they work out that detail. With that exception for the moment, knock on wood, that other cryptocurrencies and tokens have not been deemed securities in the US. So we're talking about either a commodity or a store of value or an alternative payment system or something else outside of the securities realm. So that's kind of exciting and interesting for me because it is unregulated. It is wild, the wild, wild west in many ways. Um, and, and you can go chase down some big returns. So if you're a guy who feels like, you know, he didn't save enough money for retirement, like most Americans, I think the average retirement savings for most Americans is something in the twenty twenty five thousand dollars range. It's not going to get you very far. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. if we go into additional variants from COVID, especially if people you know have a health issue and are forced to retire early, or or from a COVID standpoint, we keep doing these reduction in forces because I expect that stuff to accelerate here. Prague, you can jump in on this one. I expect additional layoffs as people continue to try to build their balance sheets. I also expect a big flood of additional stock buybacks because to oh, yeah. Prague's point earlier, cash is cheap. And it's yeah. an easy place to go right now if you want to drive the stock up. And that's how C-suite folks are compensated in this country, which drives an even bigger division or separation in the yeah. wealth. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said, by the way. Um, we we have gotten this wrong twice now as a country, as a global economy. In 08, you know, everything went to hell in a handbasket and we had a choice bail out the people or bail out the companies. And we chose to bail out the companies, right? And so people still had, were foreclosed on, they were still on the hook. Some right. of those personal guarantees or credit still, score still got decimated, right? But the companies were getting money from all ways. They were getting money to clear up the balance sheet. They were foreclosing. They were, you know, flipping assets. They were selling CDOs. They were doing insurance on the CDOs. They were, I mean, they were, they were, do, they were getting money every way you could think of, right? Mm. Um, we did it again, right? We had the option of getting money to the people and instead, the flood, the Fed flooded the capital to the corporations for their bonds, for their stock buybacks, and the markets just flew. But, you know, hey, you want to get someone another $1,400 check and good luck because Congress will fight you to the nail for it. You know what I mean? 
we we missed that boat again. Um, and all of, you know, to, and to Greg's point, what we're doing is creating a civil war because what we've done is eliminate the middle class. We are creating the greatest striation, bifurcation of wealth um, that we've seen probably since World War II. Um, you know, it's, um, it, it's going to be a problem and it's, you know, the bill always comes due, you know, yeah. um, and we just, you know, as Charlie Munger just said, I think yesterday, right, this musical chairs will stop. We just don't know when. And that's the only question, right? The inflation will come. Everything will correct. We just don't know when. Um, you know, to, to Greg's point, where I think he and I may actually disagree, um, is not that we, I agree with him that we need to get through more of this outside fiat currency, more decentralized, outside of federal banks, more power of money and equity to the people. Where I disagree is that Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency as currently structured even pretend to do any of that anymore. And that's where I think we have the disconnect. The original thesis of Bitcoin was actually that, right? Get power of money to people who normally wouldn't have it. Get these governmental organizations and these federal reserve banks and stuff out of the way, right? What it's become is a, a, the greatest speculative hedge on the greatest speculative economy we've ever had. Uh, and everyone who's holding and everyone who's making are not the people that the system has left behind. Everyone who's making and everyone who's taking and everyone who's holding are the people who actually built the system that let everyone else buy, which is why Jamie Dimon and some of these folks are getting in. Um, and that's where I think we deviate on, on, on the thesis of, of Bitcoin and the value proposition. Greg, you want to respond a little bit? Uh, nah, yeah, a C- couple thoughts. So number one is if I go back to the original, you know, Bitcoin white paper, um, I agree. The idea was decentralized. The idea was store of value. The idea potentially was a, tr- a transfer or some form of payment system, you know, people to people or consumer to consumer. Initially, that's kind of, you know, how it was written. The good news is with Bitcoin, we've got some scarcity, right? Only going to be 21 million of these things ever. We're at 19 and a half million call it now the last bitcoin token won't be mined until the year 2140 so we've got some scarcity built in so i i i still think it's a better angle than what we're doing right now with the federal reserve continue to pr- print two trillion now maybe another 1.9 maybe something else before the midterms or before the end of the year that mostly ends up in corporate coffers or corporate balance sheets so if i'm holding you know, various cryptocurrencies, like, like if I look at rates right now, I look at the 10 year treasury at 1.57. Oh my God, that is that is cheap, cheap money if I'm a corporation <laughs> with a reasonable balance sheet and a credit score, right? That is cheap it's free. money. It's free money. Uh, I mean, free money, baby. 15 year mortgages, 30 year mortgages right now between two and two and a quarter. For the love of God, that is cheap money. I think my parents uh, back in the 80s were probably in the 14% range. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 times. You know, wow. Wow. You know, although in in Huntington, Indiana, those days, uh, you know, that might have been easier to do. Um, but there's not there's not an easy way right now to come out of undergrad in the Big Ten where I came from and be middle class. It is very it is impossible to afford housing, to own housing. It's impossible yep. to own housing right now on salaries and impossible to do what you're going to do and build a family right now. It, it would be impossible to do that. When I first came out of school, I moved immediately to Boulder. And uh, we were in the midst of the oil crash uh, in the in the mid 80s. And, you know, rates were high. 
and there was unemployment and Denver was a ghost town downtown. I mean, you couldn't find anybody. You couldn't find homeless people downtown Denver and the weather's great, right? We get 320 days of, of sun a year and there was, it was a ghost town. I went to call on a guy one time in downtown Denver in a high rise and I, and I went in the elevator and went up to like the 80th floor and the elevator opened and the floor was dark. And I'm like, hello, hello. There was nobody there. And I walked like 30 steps in. I'm like, hello, there's nobody there. And I hear a voice back in the back corner of this floor. I walked all the way back. And there was a guy in a cowboy hat with cowboy boots with his feet up on a folding table. And that was his company. He was the only guy left. So that was the economy when it first came out of school. This is worse. This is worse for graduates right now today. Not not even close to work. That's what we were setting up top, right? Like It's a different world for these, these folks graduating out. Um, let's, let's tie this all, let's tie this all in. Right. So, you know, we, we've seen crypto explode. Right. right. And I think we, and you just said all the main points It's because lower cost of capital, there's a retail boom. Now the institutional support is just helping it. Could that be the last 30% that just happened? So let's say if the 10 year run, the last two, three, two years, really, and literally the last year has really propelled it into this, in the stratosphere, right? Equate that. So uh, where am I going with this is, uh, it's exploded last year because of all these things that were set up to make it to help it explode, right? Mm-hmm. In a normal when we normalize, give me a picture there. What's going to happen? Um, I mean, well, go ahead, bro. No, no, please. Because once I get once I get started on this, I think we're all going to end up. up oh, up. here we go. Here this, we is, go. This, this is our Jake Paul Floyd Merriweather, baby. Let's go. Here we go. Yeah, I think yeah. This this is going to get us off the rails. So I defer to you, please. That's uh, what I do. I break shit. So, so, first of all, we're very, very, very early in this whole crypto digitization of the planet. And, and listen, guys like Charlie Munger and, and Warren Buffett, the Oracle, who have a lot of respect for what they've done and what they've built and what they've done with their wealth, not for the next generation, I, I think is admirable. But what I see going yep. on is a digitized society coming that whether we want to you know, look, I'm the last I think in the last year, of the baby boomers in 1964. Right. I'm at the end of that train. So whether the baby boomers want to embrace this or, you know, or our parents generation wants to embrace this, they might be already past their prime in terms of crypto. You know, I'm not telling my 85 year old mom she's owning any GBTC or or Galaxy Digital right now or, or Ethereum. Um, but I, I think our kids are definitely digitizing this thing. If you look at, you know, Apple, you look at our kids with iPad, iPhone, what they're doing, man, they can. You're like, Daddy, why are you on there? You should be here. Boom. Right. And they corrected immediately. <laughs> so we're, we're going to yep. digitize this economy and, and, the, and the cost savings and the efficiencies and what we can do by digitizing this economy far outweigh mm-hmm. the downsides of some folks that came in early getting rich with that money. And I'd rather have it spread out to some individuals than a lot of S&P 500 corporations in the U.S. Um, so I, I, I just I, I just think we're very, very early and there's tremendous opportunities right now. I don't think we're anywhere near where we're at. I think Ethereum this week crossed thirty five hundred a coin. There are a lot of predictions it should cross ten thousand before the end of the year. Um, I've had conversations with some of the major uh, folks at some of the major exchanges in the U.S. and one internal price target for Bitcoin at one of the major you know top two uh, exchanges in the U S is that Bitcoin by the end of the year is through 175,000 this year. Um, it's going to hit hundred K. I predict it's going to hit hundred K at least at some point this year in our early episode on the whiskey. Hugh, let's see if I, if I'm wrong or right. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't be surprised if it hits any of that. I just think it actually undercuts the thesis of why you want to do what you want to do. Right. Like I, you know, I, I know a tool thinks that Greg and I actually disagree. 
I think from an economic fundamental perspective, we agree far more than you can Actually, imagine, I'm, see- right? I'm seeing that more. It's, yep. it's, yeah, I've lost yep. my fizzle. It, it, you're agreeing yeah. more than I thought you would. Where, 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 we, where, we, where we diverge is the underlying assumption that crypto is this decentralized solution that will kind of break us free from the systemic slant that the current system created. In and, fact- and Parag, you, and Parag, you think that because now, to, to Athol's point, because you see JP Morgan and Citi and Visa and all these major corporations coming in here, that's why you that's why you see that. No, actually, I think it's a little more fundamental than that. But that, that that's a symptom, not the root of my my. It, it actually right. it, it it proves my point, but it's not why I have the point. And and to the extent of when I say it proves my point, I'll go to what the tool said earlier, which is that JP is going to get in, but they're going to get in on a volatility play, right? Smart yeah. money wins no matter what the outcome of the game is, right? And we saw that in 2008, right? They were selling the the collateralized debt obligations while they were buying the insurance swaps, right? They got money no matter who won that fight, right? And then they got you know, AIG insured and then AIG bailed out. So they got insured 100% on the dollar and it didn't matter to them what the outcome was. They made their money no matter which way you went. That's why they're getting it now. They, you know, the, what Greg is describing is a, a world where the millennials are basically buying lotto tickets, right? Stocks go up, right? I mean, they need a way to get ahead because they never got the years of buildup that everybody else did. They're, they entered a system that wasn't made for them. Um, so what, what do the people with the money have? They say, okay, we're going to bet against that system, but we're going to bet on that system too. We'll play the volatility, right? Let the kids be right. We'll make money too. We'll just increase that gap because if they're buying a fraction of a Bitcoin, we'll buy a million of them, right? In, in terms of, 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 a, a, a derivative a- asset on it. Um, so it just actually expands the gap rather than shrinks the gap because you will never catch up. And in fact, you know, having the kids be right, so to speak, will actually just make the, the folks with money more money. And if they're wrong, they're playing the hedges anyway. So they don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, where the root cause of my thesis comes down to as to why this makes sense is actually where I think Greg and I disagree. Greg seems to believe the value of Bitcoin is scarcity. My belief is the, val- the, the, the hole in Bitcoin's model is its scarcity, right? And, and, I'll, and, I, and usually when I have these discussions with people who really like cryptocurrency, this is where I usually end up the conversation. Is, crypt, is Bitcoin a, cor- a currency? It is not. It is not for many reasons. You will never go and buy a pizza with Bitcoin. You will not buy your dinner with Bitcoin. You, you know why? Because it is so scarce that it will be worth more tomorrow than it is today. And if it's not a coin, then what is it? It's not a currency, right? It's a bet. It's a bet that the thing you are investing in will always go up and always be more later than it is now. And you would never spend that. The reason why I don't think twice about spending a dollar on, you know, a candy bar or whatever is because I'm not worried that the dollar I gave him is worth $5 next week. And now I paid five bucks for that candy bar, right? Bitcoin, if I paid, you know, the, the, the guy who made the first transaction with that pizza how many years ago, right? Yeah. How, how expensive was that pizza now, right? That's eight figures, exactly. nine figure pizza. You will never spend it. And if you will never spend it, it is not a currency. If it's not a currency, it cannot be the savior for this fiat currency system we have. Yeah, listen, I I, I don't only part of me disagrees with that on purpose. Um, a, a lot of me <laughs> agree with where you're at there. So so I, I look at Bitcoin right now and I there's a thing in, in the space called Bitcoin dominance. 
And we were something, you know, well north of 50% not long ago. Um, as a matter of fact, we were in the 73% range not long ago. I think today we're at about 43% Bitcoin dominance in terms of market cap in the space. We've got so many other projects and so many other protocols going on right now that Bitcoin's only one of those. So let's set the Bitcoin piece of the conversation aside for a minute. If you look at, because there are, there are crypto credit cards out there. There's four or five providers that are coming out with Bitcoin credit cards where you can use your Bitcoin uh, in your account and use a credit card against that. I myself agreeing with you would not do that. I want to hold Bitcoin. I want to, I want to, I want to keep that as long as I can. I've got it parked right now in an exchange where I'm getting six and a quarter percent. That's way higher than any CD out there. It's way higher than, than anything else I'm getting on any other um, US dollar or, or savings account amount. But if you look at Ethereum or you look at some of these other projects, you know, Ethereum tends to be how most people pay the gas fee or the commission if they're going to exchange from, from one coin to another or they're going to move a coin, you know, off one uh, exchange to another or, or from one place to another. Um, and there's certainly a value to paying with that. And I have certainly used that as money to pay those commissions to, to move things around. Um, because I might buy it at one place where I can set a limit or, and then move it to another exchange where I'm getting a higher return. Um, yeah. And that's, and, and that's arbitrage, right? I mean, that's arbitrage, but the, the question really is, is if, if the thesis is that Ethereum will shadow, um, Bitcoin like silver does to gold and that, you know, what Bitcoin is a hundred that. No, I don't think so. Well, go ahead. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. Well, well, I, well the point I, is, you know, Greg is talking about how much, Ethereum is worth right now, right? Mm-hmm. 3500 or whatever you said it was. The, right. the point is that Ethereum has to pick a lane, right? It will either be not scarce, so it actually will be used, which is where Dogecoin really is going to be, right? Dogecoin is going to be the one, like Ethereum, some of these that doesn't necessarily care about scarcity. It'll be everywhere. That's why it's not, doesn't, you know. But have. Ethereum's use case is not scarcity, right? There, there's, right. There's, and that's my point. Their, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's my point. My point is there's two options, right? You can either go the scarce use case or not. The non-scarce use case should not appreciate, right? It shouldn't. I mean, the only reason it's appreciating is because they're like, well, Bitcoin's too expensive. Let me buy Ethereum. Let me buy this or whatever, right? But non-scarce assets should not appreciate so marginally that they outperform other assets, right? So let's say Ethereum is a currency. Let's say Dogecoin is a currency. It is actually something that you would constantly buy and sell or, or use to buy and sell goods because its its value doesn't fluctuate, right? But if that's the case, then where are you pegging its rate? You're pegging it to the dollar, right? How do you know how much Ethereum, Ethereum to use to buy that pizza? How do you know how much Ethereum to use to buy that car or that house or pay the rent? It's still pegged to the dollar. And to have something be outside the system, its value cannot be derived from the system, right? It's like using the word to define the word. It doesn't work. Um, and that's where the other challenge comes, um, is that all of these things, all Dogecoin, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, wherever, Litecoin, whatever you want to get into, its only value comes from where everybody agrees its value comes from, right? But when they want to talk to you about what its value is and how to trade it, how to invest it, how to capitalize it, they always go back to the original system. Yeah, I will. I will very respectfully disagree. Well, I think that may hold for for a couple of coins or a couple of protocols. I, I disagree. So, um, you know, one one thing that I think about is um, 
Stellar Lumens. So Stellar Lumens is a project where basically you can send any any currency uh, or exchange any currency for another currency. So I can send Athol um, dollars to rupees in Mumbai, mm-hmm. right? So in the old days, when I first moved to Colorado, I would see guys come in uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night to my private P.O. box and they would have been working in restaurants or doing landscaping or whatever, you know, hourly labor they were doing. They would come in and they would send money to um, Tijuana, Sinaloa, Nogales, whatever. Um, and MoneyGram or Western Union would charge them, you know, nine to thirteen dollars. Sure. And I see those guys send this money out of here. So you think about that transaction. So somebody on the other end, somebody's mom, somebody's great aunt, somebody's brother has to load up, get an Uber to downtown, sure. right? Tijuana. They got to go to Western Union and people know what you're doing at Western Union when you go in the door, right? You're either going yeah. to get money mm-hmm. or, or send money. You go in, you got to pick that up. You come back out. You got a cartel guy outside. It's not safe for anybody's 75 year old mom to go do that, right? Now yeah. I can send it right to your phone. And the fee on that thing is something like, don't quote me exactly, but something like 0.00001 mm-hmm. to the dollar, right? Right. So that's efficient to me. That's that, that's great to send money to um to uh, Kenya, to Mumbai, to Hong Kong, to whatever I want to do. It's efficient. It's easy. Lots of people out there with smart with smartphones. To me, that opens up an opportunity. Like When I look across the world right now, I see you know 2.2 billion people that don't have access to clean drinking water. I see 1.7 billion adults that don't have access to any form of banking. Right. And there was an experiment that Sir Richard Branson did a few years ago where he gave uh, folks in a couple of villages in Africa, a cell phone with 20 or $25 w- with an amount loaded on the cell phone. And he thought what they would start doing is calling each other and checking in. What they used it is for an exchange as a system of barter for goods. Mm-hmm. To, right. And, and so I think nice. that's what we're really looking at here in many cases are these things can go people to people. Listen, I have, uh, although I have made my career working for and in the large, you know, broker dealers, the large mm-hmm. money center banks with their clients, with their with their wealth advisors. Um, I think there's plenty to go around that can go in a in a person to person exchange that doesn't need to yeah. include them. Okay, and I, and I, I agree with I think you there's on plenty that. To go around there. If you, okay. Um, you know, if I I look at Cardano, you know, the symbol on that on that coin is ADA. So. Um, Charles, who runs that guy, lives in Colorado. He's a University of Colorado guy. His idea is to bring some of these protocols to the folks in Ethiopia. Just signed a deal there, working on a deal in Nigeria. I like the idea to be able to bring banking to people there because nobody's been ever able to crack Africa. It's ridiculous that over all these centuries, nobody's been able to figure it out. They can certainly go in and, and take the resources, but nobody's figured out how to grow that consumer reliably. And it should be a dominant force on the planet. Mm. So I like what he's doing with that project. You know, there are other projects where um, uh, if you look at Vcash and what those guys are doing, you know, they've been able to turn around. So if, you know, you're a you're a, a an Asian utility and you're buying natural gas from Gazprom, you're buying a load. In the old days, you used to take two to three weeks to turn around the load to get the insurers to to get all the banks to sign off on the line of credit and to get those, get those loads or those cargos ready to go. Vcash has gotten the the opportunity to do this now by putting all that data and all those documents and all the insurance data on the blockchain, on the Ethereum blockchain, by the way, um, getting that data in there so they can rinse and repeat the next load. They can turn around cargo ships now in less than two hours. 
So it could come in, unload, and be ready to go right back out. It's so efficient. It's such a good use of capital right now. Anything we can do in the overall global economy to add efficiency, to me, is a great improvement for everybody. And there's enough room yeah. to pay people more, right? We don't have to talk about minimum wages when we got that because there's enough fat in the system to pay people more dough. And, and there's yeah, enough and- to share some of that equity. Yeah, I, I think you're right on in terms of that use case. I think that actually was the original intention and thesis of Bitcoin, right? Give access to those who don't have access. You know, when you talk about getting it to, to villages who don't have access to banking systems to to um, to be able to make things more efficient, to be able to store right. data, use data, transfer data. I, you know, as someone who is in data, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, I was coding intelligence systems for business back in the late nineties. I mean that, you know, which doesn't seem like that long ago until you realize it's a long time ago. Um, but, <laughs> but the challenge is, you know, first of, in my opinion, you're talking about two separate things now, right? Cause if the advantage to Bitcoin is scarcity, everything you're talking about requires the opposite liquidity, right? And access. The second part is in order to receive that money in the villages or wherever you need tech, right? Because you can't receive it, you know, in your, in, in your, whatever hovel or hut or right. shanty or right. barn or wherever without without something to, to hold it and store it and use it um but then go one step further and say where's the moat right because if the if the advantage is that okay you can get ethereum to someone without that you know money transfer currency exchange rate fee right um well look at what happened with stock trading Look at what happened with, you know, you know, bank fees. They just got rid of it all, right? They basically just got rid of it all and started making interest off this massive amount of equity that they were holding, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, if PayPal just said, okay, we're going to get rid of fees. If JP Morgan just said, okay, you can now Zelle pay or Quick Pay or Chase Pay or whatever, you know, your relative in, in the villages of India, you know, through their phone with no fees, all right, where's the moat for Ethereum now, right? And you're still valuing the value of whatever you're transferring in currency, in dollars, in rupees, in pounds, right? So you're still reliant upon the traditional system, the traditional structure. So that's where I feel like, you know, the way I tell people is explain to me cryptocurrency, but you can't use the word dollar. You can't use the word worth, right? Mm-hmm. Now now we're, because anytime you try to explain to me what it's worth and, and how much, you're going to end up having to use the traditional system. Well, let's try that. So, you know, there are a number of stable coins out there that are trying to lock in their value to a set amount somewhere between 99 cents and 101 cents. How's that for not using just that? Just said word? 99 cents in a dollar. <laughs> so I broke the rule. You just broke Is the rule. The rule? <laughs> We're talking about yeah. cents? Uh, well, yeah, because you're, you're talking about traditional currency, right? When as soon as you say the coin's worth a dollar, okay, I have a dollar, you have a coin, equal value. Why do I need your system? I already have my system, right? That That's what I'm saying. The value of the system we want to, and I'm with you, just so you know, I agree with you. We need to get outside of this Federal Reserve system. We need to get outside mm. of this fiat currency system and government-controlled system. But just creating another layer on top of that system, it's like creating, you know, that, that Farmville game on Facebook, right? You need Facebook to pull, to throw the animals at each other, right? So even if you're just using it for the game, you still need Facebook's infrastructure, right? And that's that's what crypto is really trying to do, is trying to create a layer on top of a system and then pretend that layer doesn't exist within the system upon which it's living, 
Um, and that's where my challenge is. And then it's being used to convince people that there's future value that's so much greater than any other asset class you can invest in, that it will both get you out of the system and it will get you over the system. Yep. And that is such a dangerous cult, cult of personality pitch that it just and, scares and, me when that system collapses. Interesting and, vantage and point. Your view, Great, hence your view that you don't want to be the last one out. I got it. I got it. Yes. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. Let's 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 have you guys back. I, we're still going to do something. You're not leaving yet. Um, I, well, let's have you back to do a round six on this because I think we just did five. Uh, that was great. And I'm not trying to. Bring, I want peace on earth, baby. I, I want you all to. Get, <laughs> I love you both uh, equally, and it's just all. It's all great information. Let, let's let's go. Let's go very heavy into the tech space quickly. Disruptive forces, right? We're about to combine many disruptive forces largely stemming from tech all at once. This is the first time I'm going to see this. You have crypto, a whole new value exchange system, AI, robotics, autonomous driving within five to 10 years prevalent. Genome sciences is the big baby, right? We got a vaccine within two months that should take normally 20 years. How What can we do for other illnesses affecting majority of the population across the earth, right? I can't think of another time this has happened. We're all of these collective forces that are game changers. Give me an example, if you can. Um, and the, the, the main reason I brought this up, I think there's this, no matter what we say, the ebbs and flows, this is going to crash, that's going to crash, this is in a bubble. With all of these forces, I think this allows for a tremendously strong period of continued growth, right? No matter how you slice it. But jump in there, jump in there. Give me, give me three things that can rock this kind of like assumption. And then let's go all in on all these points. I'll, I'll jump in real quick. So there, there's a there's a, a protocol called Numiere that's kind of interesting that combines AI with uh, with investing. So what they basically do is pull together the best minds of multiple hedge funds and their best algorithms to combine AI looking at the at the digital or crypto space to get you the best returns. And the thought is when I when I pick the best minds from various hedge funds and the best minds behind some of these algorithms. I can AI the returns and outperform the average guy, you know, in a branch office in Dallas or Chicago or L.A. So I could take the best of the best minds in that space, apply it instead of to traditional um, commodities or precious metals or to the fixed income markets. And I can apply it to the crypto space and I can outperform those other those other markets or those legacy markets. So that's kind of an interesting project. I think the, you know. It's yet to be determined. Have they outperformed? I think I see need to see a, a longer data set over the next, you know, one, three, five, and ten as we look at traditional investments. But that's kind of an interesting thought where you've got the convergence of all those things coming together. And because normally those guys don't work together, right? Normally, if I have a hedge fund, Prague's got a hedge fund in Chicago. We're not working together. We're competing for the same institutional or endowment dollars. But in this case, I kind of like the idea to bring those together. You know, part of the thought is, you know, we're trying to outperform the man. There is no man, but you get you get the point there. So I kind of like some of those thoughts. Um, and the other thing I like about this crypto space is that in many cases, it's open source code. So the code's available to everybody. The APIs for the big exchanges that, you know, Kraken, Binance, Coinbase, Voyager, et cetera, is available for anybody to go do your automated trading bot to go build that stuff. And that's never been the case before. Right. Facebook, Google, you know, Intel not going to the Chinese and saying, hey, here's our code. Why don't you guys go figure out a faster chip? a better memory chip, 
a better video card. Nobody's doing that. And this is this is the first time I can think of where people are kind of working together towards towards a better spot. The, the beauty of it, there's tremendous transparency, right? If you have open source like that, the the one con would be there's going to be a lot of crap flooding the market. So we'll have to fi- cipher through that, right? There's going to be so much unnecessary crap built, <laughs> but that's cool. It's it's part of the gig. Brog, you're about to say something. Uh, you know, I just think it's such a heavy question. I don't know if I have a good answer for you, man. I just think um, I, I have more um, thoughts on the assumption of the question, the question itself. Um, Go for it. You know, I think we're in this time where the converging forces are just going to smash the heck out of each other and we don't know what's going to emerge. And, and what I'm talking about is, mm-hmm. you know, some of the stuff that Greg's talking about is what, you know, people would label digital socialism, right? When you start talking about open courts, you know, open code sourcing and, and collaborations among competitors and, and, and being able to, you know, you brought up the vaccine. One of the reasons the vaccine was done as fast as it was, one is because it built on decades of research that was already latent. But sure. two, it's because it wasn't a profit motive, right? You had all these countries basically publishing proteins and, and, and pieces of the virus that they've isolated and group thinking a solution because they needed to get there, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and now you're seeing people possibly giving India free vaccines or the world free vaccines. And even the United States is basically a free vaccine because- Everyone benefits from that situation. It's not a profit motive situation, right? So when you start talking about AI that's open source and when you start talking about harnessing the best of ideas to build something new, right, then, you know, you're immediately going to get the system to push back and say, okay, where's the IP law on that? Where is the, who's got the copyright in that? Who's, who's getting the royalties on that, right? I mean, that's where, you know, we're in a really weird place right now where you're getting automation, you're getting technology innovation. Some of it's just tech innovation for the sake of innovation, right? Some of it is really just we needed to create a new. We went from internet commerce to mobile commerce. We're not going to go to car commerce, right? You're going to be able to drive your AI car to pick up your drive-through for you. They're just going to scan the bin and charge you, and it's going to bring you back your food, right? I mean, like yeah. you're going to get to that kind of point where it's is it necessary? No. Does it really solve a social problem? No. But hey, I got my food faster, and I'd have to leave my house. You know what I let mean? Me stay, like, let me stay fatter. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Me- <laughs> right. So, so there's a lot of worlds colliding here. But, mm-hmm. but I think the underlying assumption, your question was, hey, does tech get you to the next level? You know, I wrote my thesis in Northwestern on this. There was the solo growth curve. And it was that, you know, you, you, when in a finite resources, you're along a certain curve of productivity. And the only way to jump mm-hmm. in the upper levels of that productivity is technological innovation, right? As Greg said, you want to streamline things. Yes. You want to make them faster and better. And, and that's great. The question is who profits off that innovation and how do you shrink that profit so that the social benefit I- increases? It's, it's going to be an interesting space like Google's, the Facebook's. They seem like such what's uh, compared to what's coming. They seem like such yesteryear technologies, right? Yet our lives are built around these. Uh, I mean, so in 20 years, they're going to look like Excite and Lycos and Yahoo. That's what we were talking about 20 years ago, right? Yeah, man. Yep. Uh, go ahead, Greg. You're saying something. No, I, I agree with that. I think... Uh, I, I think there's plenty of fat in the system to be shared across the board. Uh, sure. You know, it's why I'm a fan of, uh, you know, assuming, you know, back to Prague's point, assuming you've got the technology. I like some of the airdrops and some of these tokens to get these things out into the hands of people. 
I like uh, I like where some of these are going. I like a lot of these protocols are really, really interesting. I mean, I probably follow closely 110 different projects right now. It doesn't mean I own them all, but I follow them and I'm really excited about some of the stuff that's coming down here. Um, and, and I think it's really, really interesting. Um, so I'm excited about where we're going. And I agree, you know, it kind of combines everything that's falling into the same pot. It's, it's, you know, political, it's economic change. It's, it's paradigm shift. It's money management shift. It's, it's all coming at once and it's coming faster than anybody thought it was going to happen. Um, you know, we get a lot of contributing factors from COVID and, and working from home and everything else. It's, it's really accelerating this whole process. So I, I think it's really exciting. Let's see where this is going to go. Um, and hopefully it doesn't completely piss off Parag when all these people are making, you know, good skin and, and, and become the new digital. <laughs> I, I, I make all the money you want in it. You know, I, 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 I buy the capitalist argument for this. I, I really get worried when I start seeing the religious argument for it. The, 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 <laughs> the fanatic, argument. that's what scares me. You know, if you tell me I'm doing it cause I want to make money, God bless you. If you tell me I'm doing it because it's literally going to change the world. Then, then I'm like, I'm a little worried. Yeah. So, Greg, it comes down to that he's saying, don't be the guy holding the last bank. He's not going to be. So it's between you and I, baby. So <laughs> All right. That's it. <laughs> I vote for you. <laughs> I'm going to get out 10 days earlier. Um, well, this has been great. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What are you saying? So I was just going to end on this because, you know, I, I'm a Marvel fan and, and you know, uh, mm, nice. Falcon, and Win- Falcon and Winter Soldier just finished, right, a little while ago. Yep. I think I think the world you're seeing now, and even the world that Greg is describing, which I, I agree with, you know, in terms of the needs to get outside the system, but even from the healthcare perspective and the sharing of IP and all that stuff, the world you're describing is what the Flag Smashers were looking for in Falcon and Winter Soldier, right? A world without borders, a world that's not forced by the government and the organizations and stuff, a world where, you know, it's, it's not me against you, but it's we against everybody kind of thing, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those kinds of situations. Um, there's just going to be an incredible amount of pushback from all sides on it. But yep. um, that's what we're inching towards. Yep. It's going to be scary when all these forces collide. Yeah, it's going to be, there could be some scary outcomes. So uh, careful what you wish for, everybody. But <laughs> Greg, you have any final thoughts or you want to, should we tap out? No, that's it. That's fantastic. I appreciate um, the time. Thanks for having me back. Prague, fantastic. Can't wait to see you in Chicago for a Bears game. Boom. Uh, I love the conversation and I, and I can't wait to talk to you again. We're trying to get uh, Sharon Rogers traded to the Raiders. I think he wants to go that way. I would actually back the guy if he was over there. <laughs> I could. You know, the guy's phenomenal, right? He deserves a, uh, he deserves what, everything he's got coming to him. <laughs> um, anyway, this has been awesome, gentlemen. I, I love your perspectives. Love you guys. And we're going to get together soon. Greg, I'll see you in like 10 minutes. We'll have a beer. Um, <laughs> uh, but Brog soon, July, I'm thinking. Uh, love it. We're going to take, we're going to show, I think, put this out next week. So everyone have a great week. Keep tapping in. Get us on our social media, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to get onto that stuff, but, uh, thank you. Peace.